Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to the Vineyard. I'm Joe Wood, and we're glad to have you with us as we wrap this month up. We've been talking about children all month and what it means to have children, and I've kind of been looking forward to this particular message um, that I wanted to share with you um, about that. You know, we've been talking about children being a gift from God. We've been talking about children being um, arrows in the quiver that we're going to send out. We've been talking about um, the, the fact children are a blessing from God. But uh, we haven't talked yet about the fact that children will wreck your life. And believe it or not, that's what this thing's up here for. And because it's the last Sunday, I get to push it. They, they get nervous every single time I do this. It won't hit the camera, I promise you. Um, they get nervous every single time I reach over and touch it uh, because I wanted this wrecking ball up here because I learned a long time ago that children want to suck the life out of you. That's their whole goal. You have a child and they, don't want, they want to wreck your marriage. That's all they want to do. It's like children come into the earth and it's like, <clears throat> there goes mom and dad, okay? It's like the baby becomes the center of the world and it's like, that's not so supposed to be. But the fact of the matter is, whenever I think about um, children and having children uh, and, and what it means, I, I, I keep getting taken back to my, my own childhood. I, I remember my childhood. I was a big Looney Tunes fan. And so, you know, um, Wiley E. Coyote and, and uh, Roadrunner were some of my favorite. And so if I had to give you a picture of parenthood or what it means to have children, it would look like this, okay? It would look like a great big giant wrecking ball, that's the child, coming to smash you, holding the big white X. Because, you know, the Wiley E. Coyote, he always put the X on the ground or the X on the wall. And, and then, you know, the Roadrunner was supposed to come and see the X and wonder what was happening. And then here would come the train. Here would come the wrecking ball. Here would come the whatever it was. And just, you know, he always ended up on the bad side of it somehow, some way. And the truth of the matter is, that's how parenting can actually feel. Raising children can be just like that. There was a time in my life when I wasn't married, and I was probably a little more arrogant than people think I am now, that uh, um, you know, people uh, would, would come into my room, or I would be in a room with them, and I see a child over there kind of acting up or doing whatever, and I would think, just give me five minutes with that child. You, uh, just five minutes. I just want five minutes with that child, and I will have them straightened out for you for the rest of your life, okay? Why don't you do something about that? And then I had children. And it's a lot like this pastor I listened to out in California one time at the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. He said, you know, when I was uh, 25 and I got married, he said, I knew everything about child rearing. He said, I didn't have a child yet, but I knew everything. He said, I have a sermon, three things that you can do and your child will get to heaven. He said, and then I had a child, had a daughter. He said, now I've got a sermon entitled, Seven Good Ideas You Might Want to Try and I Hope It Helps. I hope it does. He said, you're on your own. That's, that's kind of the way it feels like, you know, being parents. But for crying out loud, we, 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 get, we just kind of think it's going to be easy. It's like, first we get a wife. I'm speaking from, you know, the guy's side of it. First we get a wife. Then we get married. Excuse me, get a girlfriend. Then we get married. Then we have sex. Then we get pre uh, pregnant. Then we raise the children to adulthood. And then we send them out. What could be harder than that? How could it be any more difficult than that? It's like, you've got to be kidding me. It's that easy. Everybody should be able to do it. And then it happens. And then you're just like, oh my word. And then everything that your mother ever said to you comes true in your own personal. I hope you have two just like you. Just like you. That's all I'm hoping for. I love you, son, but I hope you have two just like you. Okay? And it's like they're heaping curses upon you. The truth of the matter is, we know that raising children is a lot harder than that. 
In the midst of raising children, we end up in scenarios that look like they came right out of the cartoons. And we think, this can't be real life. This cannot be what God meant when he said, be parents. It just can't be. And we're like, God, please wake me up from this cartoons. And, and, and today, as we talk about children, I want to do a, a big refocus. And this is the one that I've been wanting to do for a while. Because sometimes following God can feel like you're just trying to stay ahead of this wrecking ball. That's all you're trying to do. It's like you think that God has got it in for you, and you've got this big white X on you somewhere, somehow, and that God is just coming and coming, and you're just running and running, and you're just trying to stay ahead of it. You can just stay a little bit ahead of it. It will not wreck you. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes it needs to wreck you. You know, I said children want to destroy our life, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it. Children come into this world, and they want what they want when they want it and how they want it. That's what children do. You know, they got a wet diaper, they cry. They want you to change the diaper. They get hungry, they cry. They want you to feed them. They get, you know, bored to tears, because, I mean, they could just lay in that car seat for so long. You know, and then they, they cry because they want you to pick them up. But they're designed to do that. God created them to do that. The, the truth is we're supposed to grow out of that. And we are fast becoming a society that doesn't grow out of it. And so when we talk about children and what it means to, be, um, uh, uh, to raise children, I also want to say that sometimes following God can feel like being a child and feeling like that wrecking ball is coming at you and that you've got this big X on you and you're just trying to stay ahead of it. One of the most famous father-child stories in the Bible is a man named Abraham and his son Isaac, and I want to share that with you. I want to do this, but I want to talk about you being the child. I was at a Vineyard Conference, the National Conference, last week with our staff, and what a great time that that actually was. I hope you got to see some online. I think there's still some there that you can watch. But one of the old Vineyard statements that used to get said a lot, a number of people said back in the day, so back in the 70s and 80s, was grow up and be a child. Grow up and be a child. Grow up and be enamored with God the way you were when you first met Him. Grow up and be a, a child and accept the things of God as a child because Jesus said unless you accept this as a child, you'll have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Grow up and be enamored with God. And so that's kind of heavy in my mind as I think about this. But then, you know, sometimes you have to stop and say, but what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be a child of God? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I'll talk about it in a second, but the idea of God being my father was not a good thing for me growing up. You know, when I was 17 and I met Jesus and, and they would say that, now God is your father, and I'm just like, hmm, that, that had a real negative connotation for me, okay? Uh, and, and so I had to do some scripture um, searching on my own, open up my Bible, do some reading, write some notes down, and, and say, what does the Bible say a father is supposed to be? And I had to learn some things, and, and we'll about that, but let's, uh, let's jump into Genesis chapter 22. I want to look at the story there. It's a very fam uh, uh, familiar story. Um, it's a very famous story. If you've been to Sunday school as a child or something like that, you probably did some craft or something around this. I know our kids did about a month ago because I saw them you know, carrying out this little piece of paper that had some fluffy cotton stuck to it, and they're like, this is the ram, this is the sheep, this is the goat, whatever they were calling it back then. But it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham is a man who was 99 years old, had never had a child, and God came to him and he said, you're going to have a child. And he was like, ha, 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 and he laughed. And that's why the child's name is Isaac, because Isaac means he laughs. 
Okay, and so his wife's a little bit younger than him, and and uh, you know she's going to become a mom. She's never been a mom, but she's going to become a mom. At almost a hundred years of of age, she's going to become a mom. Now I'm 61 years old um, this year, and and so I'm at that place where I'm just like, no, I'm a grandpa now, and we're on the, this side of it. And this is good, you know. Hey, listen, please bring the grandkids over, and then we're like, hey, please take them home, okay? Because we're going to have our house back, and it's it's all good. You can't send kids home, okay? They're home, and so you're stuck with them, and that's the way it is. But Abraham and and uh, Sarah. Um, had a child, and that's what the story's about. Now, they had waited so long for a child, thought they would never have one, and God called Abraham when his name was Abram, and he said, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. All nations will be blessed through you. That's the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ that we have early on in the Bible, that all nations will be blessed from somebody who comes through Abraham's line, and that's Jesus, okay? But look at here. It's not all Jewish people will be blessed. It's all nations on the earth will be blessed, okay? Because God wants to be our father. And so we have this picture. Abraham and Sarah have a baby. I'm not going to talk about the other one. just going to talk about uh, um, Isaac today. Um, but um, they have their son, the one that was promised by God, with the correct parents. And then um, they're, they're there. They're raising him up. Now, the story that I'm going to read to you is going to say, and, um, and Abraham took the boy. It doesn't mean little boy. And you'll see what I mean and why I know that it doesn't mean little boy. Okay? It means young man. It means young boy. Uh, somebody younger than his dad. Okay? because he has to carry the firewood. But this is the story that we're looking at. Um, they've had a child. Isaac or Abraham wakes up one day. He's had a dream. God's given him a vision or just called to him and said, hey, come here. I want to talk to you a little bit. And that's where we are. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Sometime later, as Isaac's growing up, God tested Abraham and he said, Abraham, here am I, said Abraham. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, you know what the burnt offering is? Isaac. Isaac's the burnt offering, and we've got to cut enough wood. Look at this. He set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham took a, looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while the boy, circle that word, uh, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. So this boy was big enough that he could carry a pack that had enough wood to consume his body, because that was the plan. That's what was going to take place, okay? And so we have this story. He says, uh, uh, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his uh, son Isaac. He himself carried the fire, so he had a torch with him that was already lit, and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to him, to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, 
Look at this. Then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Um, then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Don't lay a hand, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, don't do anything to him now that I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that's, that's uh, Abraham's only son. And so this is our picture, okay? This is the picture that we've got of Abraham taking his son up onto the mountain and, he, and, and he, the, the, he built an altar, which means he got a whole bunch of rocks together and it probably made it about five and a half, maybe six feet long, this pile of rocks. And it didn't have to be this tall. It could have been just you know one, one group big, and then he laid a whole bunch of wood on it, and then he takes his son Isaac, and, and which of us wouldn't be like, Dad, I know this trick, you know, huh? But he takes his son Isaac, and he says, here, let me tie your hands up, let me tie your feet up, and he, this is somebody that could carry enough wood to consume his own body, and then lays him on the altar. You want to talk about trusting your father. Lays him on the altar, and then Abraham pulls out a big old sacrificial knife, a, a special knife, and he's going to plunge it into um, a, um, Isaac as many times as he needs to to kill him because he is making a sacrifice to God. He is holding nothing back from God at all. And right before he comes down with that knife, Scripture says he hears, Abraham, Abraham. Now, I have often read this story and, and thought, oh, what a great little story. Abraham didn't hold anything back. He took Isaac up there, and he was willing to sacrifice him. But, you know, you, you get to the place where you're an actual adult, and you have a child or two, and you start reading this story, and you think, this is creepy. How did this get in here? And did Abraham say, hey, Sarah, me and Isaac, we're going to take a little trip. I'm going to go up on a mountain because God asked me to. I'm going to stick a knife through his chest. I'm going to burn him up with some wood. I know it's the child that God promised you. It's the only one that you've got in 99 years of age. What about that 99 years of age thing? What about that? When we built this church, there was a man in this community that came to me. He wasn't going to this church, but he came to me and he said, Joe, he's 49 years old. I'm 61. He was 49 years old at the time. He's the same age as I am. He was 49 years. Did I say he was 49 years of age? He was 49 years of age, and he came in and he said, Joe. I said, yeah. He said, uh, my wife's been after me for a long time to you know, get things taken care of, get fixed, so we don't have any more kids. I said, yeah, he had a 22-year-old son. I said, yeah? He goes, yeah. This was Monday morning. He said, I went home on Friday after work. Walked in the door, and my wife said, called him by name, Greg. I'll call him Greg. Greg, come in here. 49 years old. He went in to sit down at the table. She said, Greg, I'm pregnant. Got a 22-year-old son. And his wife's pregnant. And it's like, whoa! And he'll tell you today, best thing that ever happened to him. Absolutely amazing. But I'm thinking, at 49, I was like, I hope they start getting married and bring home grandchildren. I wasn't saying, hey, babe, you want to have another one? And, and this guy's like twice that age, and he's like, I hope we have a child. And God gives him a child, gives his wife a child. And that is significant, especially in those days, because if you had a child, it means the favor of God was on you. And if you didn't, it means the curse of God was on you. And so this poor woman, Abraham, felt like she was living under a curse, and she was not. 
But she felt like it, and she finally had a child, and this is so great. And then her husband says, we're going on a trip. You stay here. I don't know if he said, and I'm not bringing Isaac back. I really don't. But I wonder, I wonder how that conversation went. Because they went up on that mountain, and as uh, Isaac was about to, um, to, to literally stab him, the Lord called him away from that. And, and I've thought to myself, how can God put something like this in the Bible? And it occurred to me, Abram, who became Abraham, was a pagan, okay? He worshipped other gods before God came and called him. And child sacrifice was so very common in that area that when God wanted to know if Abraham was all in as a God follower, he asked him for the very thing that Abraham would probably withhold from him. And he talked to Abraham in words that Abraham would understand. Now, God had never had any intention whatsoever of letting anything happen to Isaac because God's promise to the nation came through Abraham and then through Isaac. And then, so God knew from the get-go nothing was going to happen. But he needed to speak to Abraham in a language that Abraham could understand. Abraham understood child sacrifice. It wasn't gross and ridiculous to him. It was probably very common. Back then, when you read about other world religions thousands of years ago, it, people did some horrible things. You think it's bad now. And so for God to say, Abraham, I want you to go do this, it was not ridiculous for Abraham to say, okay. If he was all in with God. Not, now, the Scripture will say because Abraham believed and had faith that, that God could um, save Isaac. Okay, It says that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. But at the end of the day, this day, this is what was going on. And it's like, wow, it was fairly common. This is the same place that they believe that the, um, uh, the temple is built in Jerusalem. It's on that same piece of property. Theologically, they believe that that's where that is. It's the place that David bought um, from Arana back in the um, Old Testament, if that means anything to you. So this is a notorious place on Mount um, uh, Moriah. And so here is Isaac um, offering up his only son to God. And, and it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. But we know for a fact that God hates child sacrifice. He would not ask it of them. Because in Deuteronomy, through Moses, he said, The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their God, saying, How do these nations serve God? We will do the same. Look what it says. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. God's saying it's normal. Humanity is so depraved that it was normal for them to say, I want the favor of God upon me so I will burn up one of my children, usually a son. Um, on a fire to God. And he says, see that you do all that I command you and don't add to or take away anything from it. So Abraham understood the idea of going all in with God. If God were to take you up on a mountain right now and ask something of you to prove that you were all in, what would that be? What's the thing that God gave you that you longed for and longed for and longed for? 
And then you know how God is when he says, hey, can I have that? And we're like, no, God, you gave this to me. This is mine. What is the thing that God reaches into your heart? And I'm not, I'm not talking about money. I'm just I'm saying, is it a career? Where God's saying, hey, I love you, and God gave you this great career, and now he's like, now I want you to come away from that and do that. You know, it's not unusual for God to do that. He got in a boat one time when some guys were fishing and they hadn't caught a thing, and then they caught so many fish that the boats began, boats began to sink. And then they pulled their boats up on the shore and he said, come follow me, and they left all the fish right there. It would be like God saying, hey, I know what you want. God, could we just have you know, this house? And him say, I'm going to get you this house and I'm going to pay for it. And then he pays for it and says, now I want you to leave it there and come away from it. And we say, no, 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 no. God gave me the house. He wouldn't ask it of me. Yeah, he would. He would. He wants to show you if he did it once, he can do it again. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. What is it about your relationship to God that God allows you to see, are you all in? With God, because that's what he was doing with Abraham, and that's important. Okay, we just know that this is what was going to happen. Abraham was going to save. I mean, God was going to save Isaac from the get-go. It was never going to be an issue. But check this out: God, Abraham went up on a mountain. He met God in the scripture. Moses went up on a mountain and he met God. Elijah ran to the mountain to the cave and he met God. Jesus went up on a mountain and he met God. There's something about going up that mountain. And I want to share this with you, this thought with you. God did not bring you to this mountain, to this place, to this career, to this marriage, to this whatever it is that you're in right now in this moment. I don't care about your yesterdays. I'm not sure about your tomorrows. So let's just deal with God today and move forward, okay? What is it that makes you believe that God brought you this far and now He's going to hang you out to dry? He's not going to do that. That's not God. You're a child of God. That's not your dad. He's not doing that to you. But for some reason, we tend to believe that about God, don't we? We tend to believe that He's this wrecking ball and that I have got to stay ahead of Him because He's coming to get me and i got to stop sinning and i got to do this and i got to just stay away from this wrecking ball until I die or else He's going to send me to hell. That's what I grew up under was that God wanted me in hell. That He was just looking for a way and a reason to get me out because that's what I grew up under. My only filter was a biological dad that I felt like hated me. God didn't bring you this far to hang you out to dry. Okay? Check this out. When God is making a big ask of you, when God is making a big, when He's asking something big of you, when He wants your son, when God is saying, I want your job, when God is saying, I want your career, when God is saying, I want you, when God is making a big ask of you, it's because he's setting you up for a big win. When we think God is trying to take too much, it's because he's about to do too much. That's a biblical principle. 
I'm not health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm just telling you that when God comes in and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, it's because something incredible is about to happen. When he comes along and says, can I borrow your boat? And you suddenly catch so many fish that you can't believe it. And he says, leave it. And you think, that's stupid. Leave it? God says, yeah, I'm about to do something amazing. And you thought that was amazing. See? And he's like, small stuff, small stuff. When God is making a big ask, he's setting you up for a big win. He said to Abraham, listen to him, because he's saying it to you up on this mountain too. I will provide the sacrifice that I'm asking from you. If God is asking something from you, it's because he gave it to you to begin with. And if he gave it to you to begin with, he's the kind of God that gives it again. You say, wait a minute, we'll get there. Let's talk about this because we've talked about children, but I want to talk about you being children of God. How do you see God as a father? If God is a father, then here, we're connected to the father by the DNA. I see pictures of my dad now. And I just have to say, I look just like him. You know? I look just like, I used to say, oh, my brother looks like my dad. Too bad, Larry. Too bad, buddy. You look just like him. And now when I go home, I say home, and I go see my mom and my sisters, they're like, man, the older you get, the more you look like dad. And it's like, I will stop talking to you. I'll do it. I won't ever text you, email, don't, don't be bringing that on me, okay? That's a tough thing for me. But the DNA of my father is in me, and I have to realize it's there. And that has to be okay. I will begin to look more and more and more like my dad as I get older, I'm convinced. But here's the deal. The same thing is true of my relationship to God in heaven. I will continue to look more and more like him if I stay in relationship with him. If I continue to do that. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He didn't take me up the mountain to abandon me. He is right here and he calls me his child. Look at this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But we're not God's children and He's trying to kill us with a wrecking ball. We're not. we got to get that out of our heads. we got to get that out of our heads. We are God's children. Now, if we are His children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we might share in His glory as well. And I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For almost a year now, I've been complaining to God. God, I'm so tired of being angry. God, I'm so tired of being mad. God, I'm so tired of looking for a fight. I'm so tired of needing to push back. I'm so tired of needing to fix things. I'm so tired of needing to do this. And God's like, well, I, I never asked you to do that to begin with. At what point did you think I got off the throne and asked you to get on it? So last week, I got off of Facebook. I did. I, I have just been so at peace. It's like, God, I want my peace back. He said, get off of Facebook. So I took it off my phone to see if I could do it. The next day, somebody came and said, so how are you doing? I, I, because of that, because of that question, hey, Pastor Joe, are you okay? How are you doing? Okay, I'm sorry. Legit. Because of that, I'm sorry. Because you all thought that, I'm sorry. 
Because the next day, I didn't even reach for my phone. I didn't care. I had things to do that involved people. Not Facebook. Not social media. Not Mark Zuckerberg. And then two days later, because, you know, I guess etiquette says you're supposed to give some kind of notice, not just disappear. One of my staff members came into my office and sat down and said, all right, are you ready to do this? And I was like, fear and trepidation now. <sighs> you know, no hyperventilating, but deep breath. And we just kept pushing buttons. She said, do this. I don't care. I just did whatever she said. I just kept pushing that button. And then I got to the last one. She said, this is it. And it was like, okay, click. And it's like, okay, there you go. I want something from God. I want to be connected to his DNA, and it's not going to happen on social media. You know that in 12 years that we planted this church, and we planted this church on Facebook. We did. And I'm telling all of you out there, listen, call me crazy. Tell me I'm an idiot. Go ahead and do it. I'm saying go ahead and get off of Facebook. Shut it down. Just everybody get off and shut it down and watch what happens to the world that you and I live in. Okay, just shut Mark down. Just shut him down. But we, we launched this church on Facebook, and so it's been a big part of my life for 12 years. I'm done. I'm out. We need to have coffee. We need to sit down and have dinner together. We need to watch football games together. We need to go out together. We need to get together. And I'm telling you right now, that staying home and watching this on TV, if you don't need to, isn't what God called us to be. Diane Lehman said, and when we were at the conference out in uh, uh, um, Phoenix, she said, the vineyard has never been about that. The vineyard is getting together, praying together, singing together, the Holy Spirit being there with us, and incredible things happen. And you can say what you want, but they don't happen when you're alone by yourself. We were called to be together. Listen, we're all going to die, okay? <laughs> Believe it or not, it's the goal. <laughs> Timing is the Lord's, not yours no matter how much you think it is. So let's make a difference, and I want to make a difference. I'm going to stay connected to the DNA because he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But that doesn't mean we don't sometimes get distracted and let things, something that may be good 12 years ago isn't today. Let it go. Move on. You're not there anymore. God's doing a new thing. Don't you see it popping up in front of you? We have his breath in us, the spirit of God, the Ruah of God Almighty. Second thing is that God wants to show you what Father's love looks like, and I needed this. I needed this in my life so bad when I got saved in 1977, and I really thought that my wife Janice's dad was going to be the man to show me that. He was a loving father. He was a godly father. He did his best. He wasn't perfect, but he was amazing, and God took him home too soon. Not too soon for him, and he doesn't want to come back. But at 54, he went home to be with God. So I need to know what a father's love looks like. You want me to tell you what a father's love looked like? Check this out, what Jesus said his father's love looked like. If you, then you are evil. Okay, not evil, just not following God. That's what that word evil means. It means not following God. If you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophet. So when we look at John 3, 16, if we want to describe the love of God, for God so loved the world that he did what? He, don't go any further. No, I want to hear it. Good, good for you. It's good. She's not embarrassing you, I promise. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. 
This isn't a message about giving money. For God so loved the world that he gave. God wants to give. No, God wants to give to you. God gives us peace. God gives us hope. God gives us eternity. God gives us forgiveness. God gives us adoption. That's a big one in our family right now. God gives us family. That's a big thing in our family right now. God gives because God so loves this world and don't let anybody tell you any different. He doesn't like sin. He doesn't like people who reject him and sin. God loves the people of this world. God loves the creation of this world. And he loves it so much that he gave. He gave his son. He gives his love. He gives his time. He gives his attention. He gives us gifts. He gives. How do we love? How do we love? God called you and I to be givers. When the woman caught in adultery looked up and there was nobody there to condemn her, Jesus said, who then condemns you? And she said, there are none here, sir. He gave her her life back. He said, basically, I forgive you. You don't have to do this anymore to make a living. You don't have to be a prostitute. He wasn't saying, go and live sinless and I'll accept you maybe. But some of you think that. You think that God is saying, no, you got to be perfect. You got to check this out. Jesus died for our sins 2,000 years ago, right? Okay, simple math. And you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's as deep as the theology as you want right now. Okay, 2,000 years ago, the payment was made. All the money for sin was taken out of heaven and put on Calvary 2,000 years ago, and it just leaks out. Every time somebody sins, it comes back out. But Jesus isn't going to die again. I'm just saying the payment was made. So the idea that we have to beg God for forgiveness when we sin is nonsense. He's forgiven you. The world has been forgiven. But will we lay hold of the forgiveness? Think about it this way. You ever seen one of those articles in the newspaper where it says, well, this um, 80-year-old man died in the alley in the gutter in New York the other day, and he had a, uh, you know, a shopping cart, and it was full of all kinds of stray cats, dogs, um, clothes, garbage, um, leftover pizza. It was nasty, but in the bottom of it was $300,000. The man was terribly wealthy. And yet he died a pauper in an alley eating pizza out of a dumpster. That defines Christianity. There is so much that is ours, but we're looking for the trash. And God is saying, I came so that you could live forgiven. You don't have to beg me for forgiveness. Just come home. Just say, God, I'm sorry. Just get up and say, oh, Lord, please forgive me and keep going. But you're not begging. God is not done with you. He's not kicking you out. Well, we got this idea that somehow we got to be perfect. You can't do it. It's not possible. The scripture says, be perfect as I am perfect, says the Lord. That doesn't mean without fault or without sin. It means understand yourself as spirit, as soul, and as flesh in relationship to God. Now listen to me, that's not permission to sin. That's confidence in knowing that you're forgiven because you're a child of God. He's not mad at you. I know, but what if we get to the end of his forgiveness? You won't. You can't tell me how big God is. How can you tell me how small his grace is? He loves you so much that he calls you child. And he says, Get off of Facebook and I'll get, you'll get peace in your life. And I say, 
No. They need me. They're just too dumb to know it. And the Lord says, you're too dumb to get off Facebook and get the peace that I've been holding for you. And I came to my senses. And I did it. You and I are living every day, every single minute, in the grace of God. We're drowning in it. It's so wonderful. But we don't see it. Listen to me. Stop holding your breath and take in the grace of God. See, you think that this wrecking ball from God, the other shoe, some people metaphorically call it, is about to crash into you. And God is saying, that wasn't me, right? That was them. Good. Whew. I thought I was going to hear about it tomorrow morning. You think that the wrecking ball is about to hit you, that God's going to drop the other shoe. And I'm telling you, that's not what He's doing in your life. He's trying to get you to embrace the fullness of the grace that He has for you every single day. See, the book of Romans says at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, we weren't born yet even, and we were going to sin, He died for us so that all the sin is paid for. You can't sacrifice Jesus again. It's done. It's over. And so here we are. Transformation is the key. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God do this. For me personally, I've come to understand this. I've come to know that I cannot realize the fullness of God's grace while I'm drowning in the sin of my choosing. See, we will go through life and we will accidentally sin or we will be caught up in a moment and sin and God says there's grace and forgiveness. But if we ignore the teachings of Jesus the Christ and we say, I don't care what Jesus said. I believe in Him and I'm going this way instead, but I'm still saved. We're only fooling ourselves. See, we must embrace the fullness of God that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 17, Father, I am in you, you are in me, and we are in them. God is in you, and He's not coming and going and coming and going. So when you sin, He doesn't say, well, that's it, I'm out. He's still in there. That's His voice going, hey, get off Facebook. And I'm just picking Facebook because that's my sin, okay? But he's whispering to you, but we're letting the world drown it out. Listen to him. He has forgiveness for you. He has love for you. He has, and it's not about your performance. It's time for us to be Christians instead of do Christians. If we get busy being the being, the doing will come. But if we do the doing, the being won't come. And Jesus proved that in Matthew 7, 21 and following. I won't get into that. But it's there. It's evident. Jesus came to get us because we can't do it. And so we've got to stop thinking that God somehow is mad at us still. He's not. He's extending forgiveness to you. There are people in this room right now 
that have never forgiven, I mean, excuse me, have never surrendered their life to Jesus. You've never surrendered. You've never said, Lord, here's my life. Here it is. I want you to have it. You've never done that before. And I believe that God is talking to you this morning. I think this is the God where you're like, I've been to church, but I've never been to that. My God says, come surrender. Give your life up and watch what happens. There are some of you in here today that, you know, you've been near to God, but man, you got a new job, you got more money, you got a bigger house, you got a faster car, you got a, you name the thing, and suddenly it's like you're distracted from God, and God is saying, come back. Just like the prodigal son, come back. God is talking to you today. And he's saying, it's time to come back. It's time to believe. And there's one more group the Holy Spirit told me are in here today, okay? Here, here it is. You're here out of routine. But you're here saying, not really. There's no God or God doesn't care. I want you to be here and ask him to care to you out loud today. I want you to ask God to reveal himself to you personally. Not to prove that he's God, but because that's what you want, a relationship with God. But you want it to be real, and so here you are waiting for it. And just hang with us for a couple of weeks. And watch what God does in your life as you begin to look at those questions. Pastor Joe, I've never surrendered to Jesus. I want to do that today. They want to pray with you. Pastor Joe... I understand what you're saying about Facebook. I got this other stuff in my life that's distracted me and God's not the first thing in my life anymore. I want to come home. We want to pray for you. Do you really think there's a God and He loves me because I really am having a hard time believing that? We want to pray for you. Can we pray for you today? Let's come up to our feet and let's ask ourselves, God, what is it you're saying to me today? Because I believe that God wants to do something in your life. And I believe it's, it's He wants to start with you. He wants to start over with you. Or He wants to wrap His arms around you tight. If that's you, don't be proud. If that's you, could you come up here? Could we pray with you? Can we pray? If this is your day to start with Jesus or start over with Jesus, can we pray with you today? Just excuse yourself from the people that are near you. And come on up here. We're going to go into this closing song and whatnot, but at the, at the end of the day, I know the Lord said to do this. I know it might make some of you uncomfortable. doesn't matter. Here's the deal. Best decision I ever made in my whole life. Am I talking to you today? Just come on up here. We just want to pray with you. That's all it is. I'm going to step down from here. We're going to go into this song. And these people are going to wait up here through the whole song. And you just come up here and tell them whichever one you fit in and say, I need you to pray for me today. Because listen to me, God wants to do something in your life. He wants to wreck your life. He wants, I'm not going to hurt you. He wants to wreck your life. Because he wants to put it back together in a manner that you never dreamed of. I believe that. That's why we planted this church 12 years ago. That's why we're getting back to the old ways. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for today. Holy Spirit, just wipe us out. Just wreck us. Just wreck us, Holy Spirit. Just be here. We just need you and we need more of you. Just wreck us. We just ask and pray that you would be near to us, Lord. Challenge us. Challenge our belief system. I'm good. Challenge us, God. 
show us the old ways and drag us kicking and screaming into them if you have to. But thank you for bringing me here today. I bless you for that. And I thank you in the name of Jesus.